This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, Prince Wine Store and the Bendigo Art Gallery, presenting Elvis direct from Graceland, created in partnership with Graceland. This Australian exclusive exhibition explores the life and style of Elvis Presley. On now until July 17, tickets from bendigoartgallery.com.au. What on earth can you be grumpy about when you're about to take flight? International tennis and that clown we have representing our country. At oh, the my lordy. He's making a mockery of everything that is good and pure about sport. I'm not Pollyanna. I know that sport is different and I know it's about entertainment. Tennis internationally is so gutless. It's run by the players and look what it's become. It's become a circus. I remain convinced that anybody who's ever experienced a divorce or a relationship breakup where children are involved or had a partner who's cheated on them will find the split very uncomfortable viewing, (laughs) very disturbing and lots and lots of tears. Yeah, don't wear mascara when writing speech. Yes, thank you. Yes, and practice it a couple of times so you get the tears out of the way. Brendan will be just as guilty of that as me. Oh, you're a big crying. He's a big crying man. Good morning. There is no structural damage to my knee. Okay, good on you, Darcy. How on earth did that come into my feet? Now, I know Siri listens to us. Have I mentioned the Collingwood Football Club or Darcy Moore? You always had a bit of a thing for Peter Moore when you were a young footy writer, I wasn't, didn't you? I wasn't telling Siri that. <laughs> Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. And welcome, everybody, to episode 225 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Corey Perkin, good to see you. Oh, it's so good to see you, Carol. I have been in my deathbed over the weekend, so it's nice to be out with you and Jane and some civilised company. What a shocker of a weekend. Not only am I sick, I, with a cold, stressing everybody, I've tested, it's Corey, okay. it was a beautiful weekend, weather-wise. <laughs> beautiful <laughs> sunsets. But and... I know so many people who have been in bed with the lurgy. The yeah. whole Ballarat mob, Charlie and Checker, are, are, I think, still in bed as we speak. They're shocking. This is all because of Hattie's kinder cold that came home. Uh, but everybody I'm talking to in Melbourne is unwell, so sending lots of love to everybody who's not feeling 100%. Well, if you don't mind, just keep your distance from me for the next few hours as we discuss a, an interesting new book you've brought in. I've got a fabulous pantry leftover recipe that was delicious that I made on Sunday night. Um, There's a story behind it. We've both just completely fallen in love with episode three of The Split, which we're going to talk about. Series three, yep, series three. Series three, three, sorry. And um, I want to talk about footy in Tasmania. Speaking of um, footy, there's an issue going on with the Brisbane Lions, and I spoke to someone from the Lions yesterday and said, well, I think the coach needs to speak to the player and tell him just to focus on his footy, even if he is going to Collingwood. And they said, well, that would be great, except that, unfortunately, Chris Fagan's got COVID. Oh. So, you know, last last week it was Chris Scott. They're all coming down with it. It's everywhere. It's, it's absolutely everywhere. everywhere. Uh, Caro, a lot of love in the room for your Brussels sprouts. Uh, last week you had a terrific recipe. And Jane Lubinus in Geelong. Hello, Jane. You were going to come to our Paul Daly event in Geelong, which we had to cancel. But we do have the one in Melbourne. I'll talk about that a bit later. But, Jane, you're such a great supporter of our podcast and you say – Hi, Carol and Corey. Made your Brussels sprout recipe, Carol, over the weekend for my youngest son's birthday to accompany homemade vegetable dumplings. Absolutely delicious. And she says, Miss Jane, you gave her no love. She said, I also received nine last week in the footy tips. Mmm, Jane. That's incredible. Jane forgot to mention Jane. And Alex G also said, tried the Brussels sprouts recipe last night and it's sure to be made numerous times delicious. And Karen from Perth sent us a a wonderful um, email, um, which started, I've been listening to your show for a few years now and I love the show very much and the variety of topics you bring to our attention. However, I've been a bit uncomfortable with the talk about Dugowie the last couple of weeks. So, Karen, we won't go into entirely the, the, the whole email because it was long and it was thoughtful and it was so interesting. Suffice to say that Carol and I have read it and discussed it. Um, and she just um, makes um, a point toward the end. ADHD is a chemical imbalance in the brain that has no cure but must be managed. I'm disappointed at Carol's lack of compassion for him too. The so-called lady victim did not seem to have any problem asking if you wanted to buy the video, so I'm hard-pressed to accept her as a victim in this situation. Um, so I just wondered what your thoughts were, and she asks you to put your arrows away. 
Well, um, I haven't exactly arrowed Jordan to Goey, and I certainly have sympathy with anyone who suffers ADHD. I am tired of people doing the wrong thing, and it really didn't have anything to do with a victim in this situation, Karen. It was the fact that... This is referring to the girl who was in the Instagram photograph. Um, he started to pull her yes. top off. Look, I don't... It was an offensive video to a lot of women, including me. I didn't like the thing he did with his tongue. I found that offensive. I found the whole thing pretty disrespectful. I just repeat to Karen, um, Collingwood found it, Collingwood was so disappointed in his behaviour, they withdrew his contract offer. So that tells you, and they've fined him a suspended 25 grand or something like that, um, which is less important. But, you know, they now, I think, are seriously thinking about life without Jordan Ngoi. He just keeps mucking up. Um, it was disrespe- disrespectful to women. There was no need in the instance of apologising to mention his mental health, I don't think. I'm just sick of players doing the wrong thing and mentioning their mental health. So I'm sorry. Fine. Talk about it later. That was not the time, and I think everybody, a, a lot of people accept that now. I hope he, I wish Jordan to go well, but I really think he needs to think about the way he's conducting his life and whether he wants to be a professional AFL footballer because he's obviously got a lot of talent, but it's never really borne out and lived up to its potential. Well, Karen, we appreciate your email and and Caro certainly does. And um, keep them coming, everybody. We love brickbats and bouquets. And I actually have an apology, Caro. You may think this is a tiny apology, but when you've worked in a bookshop and you pride yourself on accuracy, this was a terrible error. Oh, what have you done? Oh, a couple of weeks ago, I was raving about this wonderful book by Patrick Gale. And instead of calling it Mother's Boy, which is the official title of the novel, I called it Mother's Son. Oh, you did too? Mm, I did. So I had a friend who who actually contacted me and said, oh, by the way, did you know, because I I was so uh, inspired by my little pocket review here, but she couldn't find Mother's Son. She found Mother's Boy. So it's a really good one um, for for people who love um, good quality literature. Caro, um, where are we going to? We're going to Tasmania. We are going to Tasmania because I don't know if you saw the cover of the footy record on the weekend. And I mean, I guess um, we're sitting in SEN studios and Craig Hutchison now owns the footy record. He put Tasmania on the cover. It's time. Tasmania, it's time. The Golden Green, um, an article, almost an editorial really, by Ashley Brown saying that um, these are all the reasons people say we shouldn't have a team and arguments against that. I also um, did a piece in The Age where um, I talked about the list management and how they're going to put the list together. They're determined that if the team does eventuate, it has to be competitive from year one and capable of winning a flag by year five. But you also point out that there have to be sweetener deals to get the other AFL clubs over the line on this one. They they do. Um, Look, it's a complex new system that hasn't been tried before of forcing the new team, to trade their high draft picks for experienced players. No player will be off limits and there will be signing on bonuses. That, wow. For, for players who come over. There will also be some form of a cat. Will there be an academy in Tasmania? will have access to all Tasmanian-born and based players indefinitely. I reckon there will be a stadium and I think the federal government um, will get involved there. There will be a roof. It will be at Macquarie, Point Macquarie, which is a beautiful part of town. There will be a roof, as I said, I think it's going to happen. I reckon 2026 is probably the earliest it will happen. And, Corrie, I'm really starting to think it's real. I think the recalcitrant recalcitrant presidents, there are a few, but there aren't that many. And if it was put to a majority, it would probably, if the deal was right, get over the line tomorrow. But I thought I'd um, name my Tasmanian dream team. Oh, Say this team's going to start in three or four years. Well, can I just jump in there? I had a conversation with my son, Will, who, as you know, when he was working at the AFL, was deeply entrenched with community football and all the issues surrounding that. Uh, He wondered about the timing of this because I said, what do you reckon about the the Tasmanian team idea? And he said, yes, not short-term but long-term you could. But he said one of the great things going for Tasmania is an absolutely sound, solid and dedicated supporter base, which might be the thing that you need. And he mm-hmm. he reminded me of the basketball team, the Tasmanian basketball team that just joined the NBL and has gone from strength to strength with amazing supporter, um, um, you know, solidarity. The, so, Jack, the Jack Jumpers. The Jack Jumpers, who, which is a great name. Oh, they've had an unbelievable debut. Yeah, so, I mean, so, may, so maybe there the is something. Final. But, but his feeling was definitely it should be a longer term uh, strategy rather than a short-term fix. 
just thought I'd add that in. What do you mean by that? Well, we were saying that, you know, is it something you do in three, four, five years or is it a longer term strategy? And he felt a longer term strategy would work, maybe a 10 year, maybe a 10 year thing. Introduce a team in 10 years. Well, yeah, just work on, just work on getting it right, getting it absolutely right. Yeah, no, look, I don't agree with that. I I think the momentum is now and the government's offering this unbelievable deal that will have $150 million over 10 years and that'll lift that to But can the AFL support 19 teams? That's the question. Of course it can. They're about to do a massive new media rights deal and, well, Gillan McLaughlin's told the clubs that the new media rights deal, which will be announced in the next few months, will be enough to cover it and in the end you're going to be winning over an entire state, which is half a million Mm. people. Okay. I don't. I think ten years is um, well. That way was too that, long. the te- the decade was my words, not wheels. But um, I, I'm not. No. I just hope. I just hope it's done with. I just hope it's done with um, thought, good governance, uh, no quick fixes. Caro, we've seen what happens happened before with teams that this is taken, then it's taken them years and years. But that, and that's the whole point. Of money to get out of trouble. That's the whole point. The GWS and Gold Coast weren't quick fixes. They were slow builds, and therefore it created a buy for the rest of the competition. Every team who played them won by ten goals or more for two or three years. This is going to be a quick fix, as in it'll come in and it will be competitive if it works from the word go. But do you think it will? Well, I don't think they'll win a flag in year one. Okay, well, tell us your dream team. Well, I mean, I just think the main point is don't make the mistake you did with the Gold Coast and put rookie people in every position. Yeah. You need experience. Including people. board and, and coaching staff and everything. CEO, yeah. yeah. Everyone was new at the Gold Coast, whereas GWS, they had, you know, Kevin Sheedy was probably past it as a coach, but for a few years he was a great introduction coach with someone coming up underneath him. So I think the president of Tasmania... If the team was launched in 2026, should be Peter Gutwin, the former uh, Premier of Tasmania, who is a passionate advocate and a very tough cookie and has now built up strong relationships with the AFL. The AFL are very sorry he's still not there. And it seems he's quite respected on both sides of politics, which is handy. Yes. So Peter Gutwin is the president. The CEO, I'm thinking Simon Garlick. Now, Simon Garlick is currently CEO of Fremantle. He was at the Western Bulldogs, was removed, I think, by Peter Gordon, who was a very impatient, hands-on president. And Simon Garlick did a big report into the feasibility of Tasmania for the AFL. He knows the place. He knows the state. He cares about it. And he has proved himself in his second incarnation as a CEO over in Fremantle. So bring in, by then... Hopefully Fremantle will have won a flag and Simon will be happy to move to Tasmania. No women on your radar there? No. no. Are there any potential women CEOs anywhere? Yeah, I think Laura Kane would be fantastic. She had strong connections with North Melbourne. I think if you put in a head of football, it would be either Laura Kane or Chris Fagan. Well, those two. I'd do one of those. By then, hopefully, Chris Fagan will have won a flag with Brisbane and he'll be happy to move back to his home state, his state of birth, where he played and coached. And I think he would be a fantastic football boss. But Laura Kane would be equally good. List manager, Graham Allen. Gubby Allen. Oh. He look. Gubby Allen is just a master of the universe. He has been going around for... A long years time. And years he's currently and years. working, I think, in a part-time role at St Kilda. He does a lot of. He's got a lot of. So, other... from memory, is it right that I interviewed him when I did a story on Collingwood in the grand final in what was it, two thousand and one? Was it what year was it? Two thousand. No, it was in nineteen played... ninety. No, 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 the... no. But when they played Brisbane in a grand final. Oh, that would have been two thousand and one. Yeah, yeah, I did a yeah. backstory on that and interview. Yeah. Was he, he there then? He was footy I... boss of Brisbane yeah. by then. Oh, I must he, have. He went over to Brisbane with Lee Matthews. I must have interviewed him. He, look, yeah. he's good at he, – he oversaw the list build at GWS. It didn't work out in the end, but I don't think it was all his fault. I think probably they made a few mistakes along the way, GWS, but you cannot deny how competitive that team was and the way they did it. He'd be forced to fast-track this, as I say, not stockpile the young kids the way they did at GWS. He would be the man. And the coach, Damien Hardwick. Uh-huh. Damien Hardwick, I think, is probably the best coach in the AFL at the moment. By then he will Don't have been... Don't you want him anymore? Yeah, I do, but we're talking 2026. So he will have been at Richmond for another four years, and that's a long time. That's what, something like 15, 16, 17 years he will have been at the Tigers. I think that's enough, and I think you go for the best coach. He'll still be a young man, a relatively young man, and although I love the idea of Alistair Clarkson, I think Alistair will be well into his incarnation at his new club by then. So that is my off-field dream team. 
to wow. run. Okay, who's your captain? Well, th- that's a really interesting question. It's really difficult. I don't think there's any current-day Tasmanian players in the AFL who are captain material. There are some very good players, but I'm not sure that there are um, any you know, absolute stars. So I would probably go... Oh, gee, Corrie, you've really you've stumped me now. I hadn't prepared a captain. Well, have a think about the okay. captain. I've, I can see their Guernsey in my mind's eye. I know there's lots of decisions that have already been made about this, but I think a beautiful emerald green and white, white representing the connection with Antarctica, Bass Strait, also the snow on, on you know, Federation Peak, all those sorts of and, – and the green of the forests and the bush – I think that would be just a bit. And there's no green, is there, in, on any AFL Guernsey? Oh, no, no. It's yeah. got to be green. It's green, green and white. Don't green. you think green and white would be a wonderful look? I think it would just be absolutely fantastic. Um, I do. I think that's actually a fantastic idea. I don't, like, I don't want to call them the devils because I just think that's the two bleeding obvious. So I have to think about that. Oh, um, I like the devils. No, I don't want to be the devils. And I thought their theme song could be I Come From The Land Down Under, where... Mountains roar and seas thunder. I don't know. That's as far as I got. Jane, you're the muso. Well, well, I think there's a bit of plundering too, isn't there, which probably goes back to the convict past. I think that's a great idea. And I do like the devils. Well, you can't beat the jack jumpers. That's already gone. So, yeah, no, I like the devils. Tasmanian Mm. devils, it rolls off the tongue. Mm Mm-hmm. Tasmanian oysters. <laughs> I mean, crayfish. It's, it, and obviously based in Hobart. I mean, clearly, clearly based yeah, I in think Hobart. So, definitely. I think that um, I honestly believe that it's going to happen. And I think with that experienced team running it, I think they will be good to go. Well, I think, and as, as Sun Will said, just imagine the fan base. They will travel from all over the island to wherever the game is being. I imagine they'll split it between Hobart and Launceston where they play when they have home games. Yep, yep, no, that's but true. But they'll all travel. They'll, they'll just be such such a passionate force. So maybe that's the thing that, um, that ushers in the success. You haven't come up with a captain yet, have yeah, you? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with one of the De Koning brothers. Um, probably not the Carlton one. Probably um, Geelong's to Coning. They they are two, but I'd I'd love to get both of them there. Mm, that'd you, be good. There are about nine kids in that unbelievable family. <laughs> Only two of them play footy, and they are just they they've just at a young age shown so much unbelievable leadership. Yeah, I'd go for the Geelong one, Sam. I think Sam to Coning. He'd be my captain. Okay. There you go, Sam. You're annoying by, by the Queen of Football. Coming um, over with, you know, good Geelong values and coming from another small town team. Caro, before we discuss your holiday, which I want to discuss in a second, um, just another footy question. James Hurd was interviewed on the weekend uh, about the future and Gold Coast, uh, and GWS, and would he like to coach again? Do you think James Hurd in the next few years will be coaching an AFL side? No, I don't. Okay. I don't, but um, I, I think if he if he does have and he's he's ruled himself out of going for that job, but if he does have aspirations to coach, he needs to continue to work as an, an assistant coach and really learn the ropes the proper way, not the way he did last time, because everyone admits the way he was brought in and rushed in with no experience was, well, we saw the results. So um, I think you know an apprenticeship. As Michael Voss has done, he went back to Port Adelaide after he was removed from Brisbane, far more unfairly than James Heard. And he did oh, a lot, six or seven years mm. at Port Adelaide, eight years maybe, I can't remember, a long time. And now look at what's happening at Carlton. So that's what he needs to do if he has any hope of coming back into coaching. And he's tried a lot of other things, James, and I don't feel as though anything has really captured his imagination like footy. So we'll see. Uh, your holiday so for those who don't know, Caro's daughter, Rose, and Oscar are getting married, and they're getting married in a very beautiful part of the world. Where are you off to, I'm off, I'm off to the Stockholm Archipelago. I might even call in at Sandarm, see if I can um, be there for another murder. No, um, they're getting married at, at, on an island called Lido, think Boz Skaggs. And um, so, yeah, I'll be in Stockholm in a few days and um, where I've never been. You, oh, you've been to Stockholm. You've oh, get, I'm yeah. staying in the hotel you recommended. Yeah, I love Stockholm. And we, oh, look, there's ferries and trains and planes and automobiles. I've booked tickets to the ABBA Museum. I've also booked t- tickets to that museum I told me, you told me I had to go to on the boat. Mm. 
which sounds absolutely well, wonderful. Well, it's not on the boat. It's a museum the, of a wrecked boat, the, the vessel that uh, 16th, 17th century went out into the harbour and, and full of jewels and a bit like the Titanic. Beautifully, beautifully decked out for the King of Sweden, absolutely super, and went out into the harbour and sank. So it was then, um, not long ago, probably 40, 50 years ago, they mounted a huge expedition to bring it up and the boat is now in a glass case. In the a Vasa, Vasa. Yeah, in a four-storey building and that's all I'm going to say. But I think it's one of the finest examples of museumship I have ever seen. Well, I wow. booked tickets um, only the other day and, you know, it was already sort of building up. Mm. And this is, you know, this was sort of with two weeks advance. So very excited, obviously mainly excited about the wedding, which is happening on the island over a two-day period. Um, really excited about seeing my granddaughter Sunday again, really excited about seeing Rose and Oscar again. Um, most of the family are going to be there, which is great. Um, it's just a small wedding, but it's going to be fantastic. Joy. So tell me about your mother of the bride tactics and strategies. Got the dress? Um, well, no, look, I, I'm not really um, – I didn't you, – you were an unbelievable mother of the bride and – your, you know, yours was a campaign. You did it so well from a year out. I mean, you were, you were doing, you were getting fit and losing weight, and you were at boot camp I did for it. a well, year. Well, it is, it, it is, amazing. it is like having a wedding yourself. I have to say. Well, I wish There's I could only, say remember the same. That, remember the dress that matters after the brides. It's not the bridesmaid doll. It's the mother. <laughs> yeah, well, you say that. I mean, I don't, yeah, I, that won't be, I, I, I don't you, you don't. you don't go into the campaign thinking that's the way it's going to be. Everybody's no. going to look at me. But I can tell you what, that's the one when you walk down the aisle or you walk into the garden or wherever, however it is that you're approaching, everybody kind of checks out the mother of the bride dress. Yes, well, no, look, I, I, I've, I've got a very nice, quite a conservative dress. I'm very happy with it. We've organised the shoes on Australian the weekend. Australian designer, shoes organised. Um, a lot of shoe talk on the weekend, yeah. Miss Jane. A lot of shoe talk. A lot of shoe talk. <laughs> Jewelry, I wish I could say organised, but not, although Trudes did lend me some lovely earrings the other day and they'll probably do the trick. Um, no, look, I'm just really excited about the whole thing. Um, um, it's it's going to be a very casual wedding. As I said, it's on an island. There's a, a little, I think there's a little sort of sailing area. There's a bit of hiking and, you know, I, I think there was a, a questionnaire that went out about skinny dipping. I clearly won't be skinny dipping, but there's saunas and... <laughs> It sounds absolutely beautiful, this part of the world. So can I give you a couple of tips for the day? Apart yes. from the tip that my friend Joni gave me when she was mother of the bride, she said, oh, have three dresses. Which, Yeah, well, a bit hard when you're is, packing to go overseas. <laughs> which is very extravagant. But I tell you what, they've had a good run, my three dresses, and it did give me a choice in the morning. But um, wedding tips, Carol, I would say I made this error. Get yourself organised and dressed before you get the bride done. So what happened at Checker's wedding was I thought, oh, look, I'll just quickly whip on the dress and do the makeup. That'll all be fine. We'll get, we'll get her organised first. Well, one of her press studs at the back, there was, trouble, um, there was trouble at the back trying to do up the dress. And I'm not a sewer. And there was a mad panic for about 15 minutes. That kind of set us all into a bit of a tears. And all the bridesmaids are looking at me behind Checker's back like, Oh, God, who's going to tell her? And I'm going, it's fine, it's okay, it's okay. But I kind of needed a, a gin and tonic after that complete straight. So then I went into the bedroom to get myself dressed and the cars are there, you know, Will saying, come on, Mum, quick, we've got to get to the church. I've got... And I, I was standing in my underwear and no, nothing. So tip to you, something could go wrong with the bride. Just get yourself organised before you get her organised. Um, dancing shoes. Make sure you have a spare pair of shoes. I've done that. I do have that. Have done that. Yes. Um, because you don't want to do it in bare feet. Because often your dress can be long and then it'll get dirty. Um, now I know that you're writing a speech and re be prepared when you write your speech. You will cry your eyes out as you write it. Have you done that? So don't yeah don't wear mascara when writing speech. Yes, thank you. Yes. Um, and practice it a couple of times so you get the tears out of the way. And then this I is think a, Brendan will be just as guilty of that as me. Actually. Oh, you're a big crying. He's a big crying fan. He's a big crying man. But uh, but it is very emotional when you write the words about the ones the children that you love. And then the final thing I would say, Caro, is although we want to live in the moment and we don't want to be slaves to our iPhone, take photos, because what happens is that um, there are no photos the next morning, 
if there is a hired photographer, it's usually a few days before those photos come through. And the very next morning when everybody wakes up, including the bride and groom, they all want to relive the moment immediately. So your family WhatsApp just goes nuts for a couple of hours sending photos around. It's so wonderful and it's so important. So just have your phone there. Don't be afraid to pull it out and take a few pics because everybody will thank you the next day. Good tips, Corrie. Thank you. Let's it, celebrate. I think it will be. Let's it, have a drink. It will be slightly different on the isle, being on an island, and you know there, there wasn't, there won't be far to move around and get around, so there'll be no cars. I'm or interested anything like in that. the nude swimming. Yeah, well, I think that's the day before. I think it's a two-day event, but the actual wedding very, is on. It's, very, it's on day two. It's very Nordic. Well, I've told Rose she won't be doing any swimming because, of course, there's no hairdresser on the island, so we're all getting blow waves in Stockholm the day before. Two oh, days and, we're, and wearing your little event. hair, wearing your little hair nets on the boat. Well, I don't know what we'll be wearing. That'll be, that'll be a good look, Madge Allsop. We've booked my my sister and myself and Clem, who's bridesmaid, and Rose are all getting blow waves on Tuesday evening, and the wedding's not till Thursday late afternoon. Oh. So there'll be no swimming. I said to Rose between now and between then and then. Lots of swimming afterwards. I hope you've got lots of good hairspray. Look, the big the big thing, the great thing is a week later there's another wedding in the south of Italy, Rose's bridesmaid. So we're all chuffing over to Puglia, which is very exciting. It's going to be a great trip. Really excited. Feeling a bit stressed about everything I need to get done. Oh, you'll be fine. You're always stressed before you go on holiday, but you'll be fine. Potties, don't think that this is the end, though, because next week um, I'll be joined by our dear friend Anna from the op shop. Anna Barry will be joining me in the studio. Anna, who Back has been... Back from her trip. Oh, five weeks away. So if I'm not green with envy, if I'm not the colour of an apple, a Granny Smith apple by the end of this, well, I have a bigger <laughs> heart than I thought. So we're going to listen to Anna's, Anna's trip. So you can travel with me vicariously next week. And then the week after that, while Kara's away, we're going to have Craig Hutchison in the studio, which is exciting as well. Are we? Woo. Yeah, and thankfully, Craig has been nowhere, Caro, so we won't be talking about trips. Um, well, that's not entirely true. He's in America at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he recorded the sounding board. Oh, is he doing that via Zoom, Janie? Oh, you know what he's like. Oh, he's here, there and everywhere. <laughs> he's a scarlet pimpernel, I tell you. Um, Corrie, I'm very thank you and do a good job in my absence. Steer the ship. I'm sure you'll do a brilliant job. And we'll be talking again in the first week of August. But in the meantime, it's time to have a drink. So Miles Thompson joins us. And please don't turn off everybody. But today we are going to talk dry July. Now, come on. It's the start of July. If you haven't started already, Boring. Why, not, why, <laughs> why not have a week or two off the grog? I have done dry July only once. I'm clearly not going to do it this year, Corrie. So, Miles, you've got, <laughs> you've got non-alcoholic beers. You've got the most beautiful bottle. Yeah. Is it sort of a gin substitute or a vodka substitute? So it's called a, it's a sapir. So they have, to, they have to distill the botanicals like you would a gin. So the same process, so non-alcoholic. So a lot of things like, uh, well, not all of them, but some non-alcoholic gins are either de-alcoholized or they have flavors just added to them, whereas this, like, you know, like made chemical flavors and things like that, whereas this is actually like distilled from the, the herbs and spices and all the things that you would normally do with a gin um, and made into what's called okay. a sapir. I-, I love listening to you, but can we try it? Can we pour? Something? You can. This Which is one? A, we'll we try, try all of it. Well, I'll the, try. I'll be. I'll be. And you the, don't have um, to worry about slugging it. I'll be. The, the, I'll be the stewardess. <laughs> what do we want? Given to that do? it's nine o'clock in the morning, it's probably not a bad thing. The well, sapir. We, we'll start with the. The, the sapir, sapir is called Brunswick Aces. Brunswick Aces. And it comes in the most incredible rectangular bottle, yeah. almost like a large sort of square packing card. Yeah, you might need to. Break the seal on it. Yeah, it looks very hard to open. It, it's also, I mean, I don't a, know, you would use it almost sorry. as a vase or a, it'd certainly be lovely as a lemon cordial It's um, awesome. Recipient. So, idea, so this is the diamonds and they have, I think, the aces. Uh, the hearts. They have two of them. Yeah, hearts and aces. So I think there's, I, there's I one more say, to come. I, don't, I, don't think, I think we need a knife shall, to open this, we? but it looks absolutely delicious. It looks, I think you just lift it off, Corrie. I'm trying, Caro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lucky. do you want to pass it over? I'll see if I can. We can talk about. The beer I think. As well, I, I think. We, I think. And in the meantime, Miles, while you're opening it, you've brought in um, heaps normal, which I love. Which is a there you go. See, it took a man's strength, oh, Corey. No, I hate to say that. it. Don't say that. And it's got a little jigger thing in it as well, Miles. Don't worry, it? that hurt. <laughs> 
Yeah, so the top's got a so it's supposed to be a card, so they'll have the whole the whole range. Sorry. And so they have Cory, the, you are making co- you, No, it's the bottle, Carol. At least it's not Oh, it's I, oh yes, it's hard See? to pour. Got to go the other way. I think you need to take on the, the glass flat. to the bottle, not the bottle to the, the glass. Yeah. This well. So on the long, on the long side. Yes. Then you're not pouring it so far. There you go, Corrie, and then the whole studio won't be covered in. There them. you go. That's it. So yeah, <laughs> the top's got a, the top's got a jigger in it, so a measurer. But I mean, it's not alcoholic, so I don't. Clearly, this is the end of my work experience. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It. You're not getting a job at Bellotta. So. I have a I have a friend who. No, you take studio. that one, Corrie. I'll give that one to Jane. I have a friend who has been told he can't drink anymore, and he has tried every you know non-alcoholic cocktail under the sun. Um, his beautiful wife has even worked out how to make a, a sort of imitation Negroni, and in the end, he went back to water. He just said it was all getting too complicated. But I think something like this just makes you think. I think that, that whole category having... is, is it has changed. It is changing. There's yep. a lot more options. There's a lot better options, yep. and and particularly if it's sort of a novelty, if you're only doing it for a month, then sure. you're going to try maybe and or not drink during the week, yeah. you know, and just because this is beautiful, Miles. It's a stunning. It's bottle. really wonderful. Look, they 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 do a lot of research and sort of study. Now the diamonds is. It is Cheers. The diamonds, isn't it? Cheers. Yeah, it is the diamonds. Yeah. Definitely diamonds. Cheers. Cheers. But Miles, Cheers. do you remember when we, you and I were talking about Banks Botanicals? Yes. They're great mates of mine. And I was saying how lovely it is for pregnant girls in particular who, once you're over that morning sickness period, if indeed you get morning sickness or you get over it, but you can still go to a party and hold a drink that looks sophisticated and enjoy it and feel part of it rather than, remember, Carol, we, there was just nothing when we were around. We just sit there with our water. And just and everybody would glass. just think, oh, boring, you know. Yeah. But yeah. It's, so, it's so lovely Definitely. that they can and have a sophisticated drink. And I think in restaurants too, you know, people, there's a lot of people who are driving or middle of the week or for, for various reasons that maybe normally drink that can't drink or don't want to drink. Yeah. Sometimes um, you just like now the, some nice options. And the ceremony. I yeah, mean, absolutely. the ritual. When I'm, when I'm not drinking. you don't drinking, want a soft I'd... drink. You don't want something sweet. And... Yep. And this is, I've just remi- tasted this it. Reminds it's not me, too sweet, which This is reminds great. me of a, of a weak um Lime, you know, Schweppes lime cordial, a really weak one. It tastes a bit like that. Yep, without without having any sort of too much sugar substitute, yeah. which is great. Yeah, no, be, low sugar, no sugar. I don't know if it's no sugar, but it'd sugar. be great with. It's definitely low sugar. It would be great with um, a low, light tonic or so, obviously a soda water. Yeah, does designed to be a tonic style. Sapir slash gin. They, so they make mm. the gin with the same flavour profile as well. So that's the two. So you can buy both and have both. The what bottle is, is clearly part of the gig. It's yeah, absolutely really beautiful oh, and would look well, brilliant on your in your cocktail cabinet. Well, or it on would your look bar. nice with your lemon cordial, but should have actually bought I, some tonic I, to have with it. It's difficult to open and difficult to pour. Well, I mean, look, I, at, the, look at the mess I've made of the studio. But when you poured it the way Miles told you to pour it, it was fine. You, you had to hold the bottle the different. Oh, well, okay, angle. It comes with instructions. <laughs> or Miles can just visit you when you order it. Well, How much that. is a bottle of um, Sapir Brunswick Aces, the so, diamond variety? So fifty dollars for those. Okay, well that's the thing about it. It can be expensive, but if you want to go through the ceremony and you love the idea of having a drink at the end of the day that's not alcoholic. Yeah. This I would recommend this. I think really it's good, lovely. Really punchy citrus. I think great once you have some tonic. I think that's that's sort of how they designed it. So can I crack open the heaps normal? Crack, crack open the heaps normal. Heaps normal. Um, I can Did recommend. Did you say crap? Crack open. He said crack. I think heaps normal is a great um, non-alcoholic beer. It doesn't taste non-alcoholic. Tastes like beer. And it's what it's a really good drink at the end of a long day. It's really great. It's or super a hot popular. morning. Absolutely super popular for us. It's been such a great sort of addition to, to the store. So do you call um, this a beer substitute? Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of how they designed it. And the other one that we're going to look at is the, is the Tina. Um, is that a beer as well? Oh, that wow. is No, it's more like a... Um, that's more like a kind of like brewed kind of drink. The Heaps Normal is more set up like a beer. Hot, Tina says high mountain oolong pear tangy calamansi I was going to say there's botanicals. A, it, well, well, that's so you're in um, the heaps. Heaps uh, normal. This has a fruity. The heaps normal yeah, so has they, a fruity they use, aroma to it. They use hops in the heaps normal. So obviously, you know, you hop a beer, but 
and it's alcoholic, but you can hop anything. You know, oh. the, 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 the hop process just... I didn't know that. I thought that had to be alcoholic. No, the, ho- the ho- hops just add like bittering... Caro, hops don't grow with alcohol in them. Bittering agents and their aromatics. Can you please give her a Can you tell her about how things become alcoholic, please? Yeah, you have to brew them. Um, yeah, it's right. Are all right? Yeah, it's all right. That's why they're called breweries. Yeah. So how so, much is so a this, can of heaps normal, So $4 miles? for a can. Pretty good. And we have, I think, four packs on there as well. Four mm. packs and slabs. Pretty good. I'd prefer a heaps normal to a nice and dry. Coke. It's so nice because it's dry. Yep. You know, like to a nice diet th- coke. When we get to my facts at the end of the show, just hold on to that thought, okay? Hold that thought. Hold that thought, Caro, okay. about that about um, Coca Cola and non-alcoholic drinks. It is dry, and dry. it's. Um, and it's no, it's, it's a Which really, really, a really good beer. Um, Brendan, my husband, has um, become quite enamoured with heaps normal. Now we're opening the Tina. Oh, look at the colour of that. So Tina's okay. a bit different. So it's kind of nice to look at both because they're kind think, of different. So this I is an oolong base. It's a tea base, rather than more like a kind of brewed sort of style that that the heaps normal crew do. Well, you've done the heaps normal, Corey. I'll do the Tina. It's a lovely little can. So the so the colour of this is like um, a Bellini. Yeah, it's a salmon, oh, I like that. pink kind of. Try that, Corrie. Well, oh. I have a cold. Yeah, no, maybe you better finish yours and try it in your glass. This is really good. I think the teeny gets my vote. Mm. Oh, I yeah. want to drink the teeny now. It's yeah. a lovely colour. It's very good. A little more citrus, a little more punchy fruit. There's a little more sweetness on it. The heaps normal is quite dry. <laughs> Jane's trying to take a photo of all this, and I've completely trashed the desk with And does this <laughs> does this also also retail around four dollars a can? I think this is a bit more. This is about six or seven. Okay. All right. Yes, well it's it's a cut above. It's like a was it a bit of a kombucha style? Yeah. That's yeah. probably a good good co- yeah. uh, comparison. Yeah, for sure. I think it's really nice. Mm. I like so it's nice because they're so different. Like they're really different styles. So if you're looking for something with a little bit more fruit and sort of aromatic sort of kind of lift going on with it. You can go with the Tino if you're looking for something a little more traditional beer looking. Definitely the heaps normal. Now there's other stuff out there. These are just sort of the ones that we, so what might that be we quite, go with. What might be quite nice to do is to order all three from you, Miles, and have a try over dry well, yeah, July. Absolutely. If you want to be really boring well, and do dry July. Oh no, it's not boring. It's just no, it's not. I don't it's mean a good to way be, to launch I'm not yourself into the, there. into the season. So Miles, are you finding dry July is becoming more of a thing at yeah, Prince Wine Store? Definitely more popular. I mean, everyone, you know, some of the crew there give us a bit of stick for having <laughs> a bunch of non-alcoholic stuff, but it does very well for us. And, and even throughout the year, you know, there's a lot of people who, who like to have it around. And there's a lot of people who like to, who don't drink. I mean, I think you kind of, yeah. <laughs> if you're in drinking circles, like probably all of us are here, you kind of forget that don't, don't there's a look, large... Don't look at me when I you say at, that, Miles. I looked at everyone. I looked at everyone. I, know, <laughs> I, I think I know. Miles is right. I mean, I think when you're entertaining, it is nice. I mean, I'll often make a big jug of homemade lemon cordial or you put out heaps of mineral water, but oh, it is nice sure. to offer people something, uh, you know, a, more more, a sexier alternative. That's yeah. very true. a great alternative. Oh, that's very true. Miles, great idea. Awesome. Thank you very much. Oh, this has been messy but fascinating. <laughs> so speaking and of very mess, delicious. that's the code you put in, isn't it? Oh, M-E-S-S, that's right. 10% off at uh, the cart when you shop online at Prince Wine Store. PrinceWineStore.com.au Thanks, Miles. Thank you. So that was a cocktail cabinet brought to us by Prince Wine Store. Corrie, it's time for book, screen and food for Red Energy. Are you moving house? Call your local energy retailer, Red Energy. You have a book, Corrie, and please get the title right, can you? <laughs> it's called Jesus Town, One Word, a novel oh, by Paul, Paul Daly. new book. Mm. Would you like to tell Potties how we know Paul Daly? We worked with him on the Sunday Age many years ago. He was a young gun reporter climbing the ladder, I suppose as we all were back then, and he became a, a real gun political reporter. Yeah, he went and worked for Time Australia and now he... and, and other various other news organisations and now is a contributor to The Guardian and he also is the author of several fiction and non-fiction books and this is his new novel and Carol, I think Paul, our friend, shows enormous courage with this subject matter. It is a tough issue. It's a tough gig when white fellow writers take on black Australia and this is what Paul has done. This is, um, he has captured the beautiful land and the politics of the land, First Nations, 60,000 years of history and white man's attempts to dismiss it, to destroy it, to plunder it. And 
all of the tragic ch- chapters of the history, the massacres, the murders, the rapes, the children stolen, the alcoholism, uh, the damaged people, all of this uh, makes an appearance in this uh, this big issue, but incredibly enjoyable novel. What does Jesus Town mean? It's it's a it's a former missionary town in the top end, and this is where the action takes place. So all of these issues are swirling around. But what I love about this book is that there's a very strong narrative, and it's the story of populist historian Patrick Renmark. Now, Patrick. As I'm reading about Patrick Greenmark, who was Melbourne-born but fled to London, became a writer and became a bit of the, um, if you think of Peter Fitzsimons, that sort of historian, so a populist mm-hmm. historian, yep. taking stories of the past and turning them into best-selling books. He becomes a best-selling author, but there's a sense that he's never achieved his true scholarly self or found himself. Um, he is... Uh, He's living the life in London, has a wife, a child, a mistress, of course, who's much younger, who happens to work in the university library. So there's, of course, there's a lot of snogging and shagging that goes on in in the bookshelves. But a series of tragic events befall Patrick, and in a haze of pills and booze, he realises he has to fulfil a publisher's commission, which is to write a book about his grandfather, Nathaniel. Nathaniel Renmark was a 20th century anthropologist and adventurer, and he became famous because he um, left Melbourne, went up to the top end, and over a series of decades in the 20th century, from the 1920s, 30s onward, studied and lived with Indigenous communities. So here we have Patrick battling his own demons in the tumble-down shack in Jesus Town, which belonged to his grandfather. And his grandfather's story, his grandfather's story unfolds and indeed unravels. Could it be that this, um, could this be the greatest story that Patrick has ever told, the true story of old Rennie's story? Does he have the courage to write the true story about his grandfather? And can he face the truths that haven't um, been, haven't come out yet? So I think this is a really important book. I think Paul will probably receive a bit of a backlash from people who say that white writers insert themselves sometimes inappropriately into uh, blackfella stories. I don't agree with that. I think given, particularly given Paul's experiences writing on Indigenous issues for The Guardian over many years, the fact that he's travelled to the area. I mean, the land around this this um, Jesus town, which is a mythical place, but it's so evocative of Northern Australia. I, I think he really pays homage to the... Um, to the communities and and communities where the things that matter are respect and family and love and that's what kind of gets you through. There's a little bit of humour in it um, and I just think it's a really great book for book clubs in particular and for readers who love these sorts of meaty issues uh, where there's a really strong narrative which is climactic and you're on the edge of your seat toward the end of the book. I think it's done a fantastic job. So that's Jesus Town by Paul Daly. And can I just add that we are having an event with Paul if any potties would like to come. Um, it's on Wednesday the 13th of July, 6 o'clock till 7 o'clock at Cafe Latte Upstairs, which is in Hawkesburn. And I think, Miss Jane, you're going to put on – she's nodding, yeah. She's going to put on the try booking thing. So if you'd like to come and meet me, meet Paul, and have a listen um, to him talk about the book and other big and important issues as well to do with Indigenous communities, um, join us. So that's Jesus Town, Caro. Sounds fantastic. It is now time to talk screen, and I have completely, I confess, binged the split Series three of the Tales of the Defoe family. Mm, what I did, a family. I did too, Caro. Have I you finished, finished it? Yeah, I finished oh. episode six last night. And I've just found out that that's it. There's no more, which mm. is disappointing because it's not all completely resolved, is it? We won't say. Anyway, let's talk about the story. The no, def- let's not give too much away. We'll, we'll talk about Do the, the, setup. the premise. So. Basically, this is a story of the three Defoe sisters and it, their mother. And it premiered in 2016. So if you haven't seen series one or two, it's on iView. And it stars Nicola Walker, <coughs> who's also from Last Tango in Halifax and a couple of British cop shows. She's sort of one of the it girls at the moment, it women of the new um, new sort of order of British drama. 
he is the main character and series three focuses on the process of her divorce with her husband. Or will she get divorced? Will she or won't she? Of course, there's another man on the scene. He's living in New York. He's been in the series before. Um, she has two sisters, Rose, the baby, who um, becomes a major part of this story. Well, both sisters really become a major part of the storyline. The real difference for me in this series is that um, the mother, who was such a, you know, a tough as old boots and really horrible character who did some dreadful things to her daughters. The first series, of course, focuses on the return, the long lost return of their father who disappeared when the girls were little. The mother is not a nice character. By series three, she has her own podcast. She is also a very, very successful lawyer and she has a podcast on divorce, which um, drives everyone nuts, but she's much nicer. She is. She's softened and, and she's played brilliantly by Deborah Findlay, who people will know Deborah's face from uh, from BBC dramas over the years. But she really is given a very strong role in um, in in this show, particularly series three, as you say. Duckface returns, Caro, as the lawyer who is handling um, the divorce. Um, Nathan, he's Nathan's, you know, the husband's divorce lawyer. Um, you Anna, find- Anna Chancellor. So Anna Chancellor, we say duckface because that's how we remember her from four weddings and a funeral. She was the one who uh, Hugh Grant stood up at the aisle, but um, at the church. But uh, she plays a fantastic character in this. Absolutely brilliant. The other thing is that um, you find out very, very early in the first episode that Nathan has a girlfriend. He, yeah, well, we won't say what happens there. But look, the children become a big part of the story. I think Nicola Walker is a, has real appeal as an actor, but I think he overacts a bit in this series. But I just couldn't stop watching and it made me cry. I, yeah. I cried a lot. In fact, well, I cried in the last episode. As I was saying to Miss Jane before you arrived at the studio today, I remain convinced that anybody who's ever experienced a divorce or a relationship breakup where children are involved or had a partner who's cheated on them will find the split very uncomfortable viewing, <laughs> very disturbing and lots and lots of tears. And for me, it always starts actually with the theme music at the beginning, those three golden-headed children. I so know. I'm a basket case before the thing's begun. Which is, which is, if you watch the first series, the premise is that that family film was made the weekend before the father nicked off. That's right. With the nanny. That's went right. Went to live in um, So it's sort Sweden of early or 70s or mid-70s and oh, these three gorgeous little girls. But series three further explores the ties that bind us and um, and it reminds me of um, one of my favourite films with the kids, Mrs Doubtfire, 100 years ago, Robin Williams playing Mrs Doubtfire. And uh, at the end of the at the end of the film, Mrs Doubtfire talks to camera and says, people come in all Families come in all different shapes and sizes and has a lovely dissertation on what family is and I think that's where we land with the split. But, yes, quite uncomfortable viewing, Caro. Lots and lots of tears over the weekend. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a, it was a great premise for a series and because not every thread is completed, you just wonder um, what's going to happen. But anyway, I would definitely – it's on ABC iView. It's also on the ABC on Sunday nights after um, – Oh, what's that? Um, the Good Karma Hospital, which I sort of get sucked into occasionally. No, I no, I can't. I can't watch the Good Karma. <laughs> I've Hospital. done the Good Karma. I, I'm doing on that. I'll do any Brit sort of show, but no, I've really enjoyed it. Can I, really, I just really also? Can it. I also use this moment just to because we are also a document of record. Our podcast to just Vale Lee Sales. What a great job she did hosting for so many years. The seven thirty, as it's now known. And I found her final episode last week, and particularly the tribute on Friday night, really compelling viewing the, the tribute. Uh, I think that's probably up on ABC iView if you want to see some of Lee Sales' great and funnier and one, more wonderful moments. It's very good tribute. I mean, it, you did sort of think, I mean, how long did she host for, 11 uh, years? 11 years, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a – yeah. It, uh, well, I don't really understand. First of all, I mean, she's not retiring. Surely she's too young to be going off no, into the No, she's ether. like friends. She'll pop up again somewhere. Friends now yes. on daytime TV. Yep. What are you saying? She didn't. It was a bit of an overkill. Oh, I thought it was. <laughs> and you know, I'm the biggest you, Lee Sales fan of all. I think he's wonderful. Are you shooting Bambi? No, I, I love Lee Sales. I think he's done some of the great. I mean, some of the groundbreaking interviews. And, you know, as a sports person, she comes in and does sport as well as anyone. 
But I thought, gee, by Friday night, I'm like, I mean, you know, oh. she's, not, she's not going away forever. Anyway. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway, oh, I'm just moving on to congratulations, Sarah Ferguson, for getting the greatest job in TV. And I thought your premiere on Monday night was terrific. And your her interview with the... Uh, the acting Prime Minister, I should say, Richard Miles, the Minister for Defence, was terrific. So uh, we're in good hands with Sarah. Now, you have chicken recipe. I do. I do. Um, I found myself on Sunday night, or last week, I should say, with, you know, a lot of pantry leftovers that I needed to finish, a few potatoes that were probably two days away from the bin. And I had chicken thigh fillets in the freezer, Corrie. Um, the chicken chops, as we call them, skin on, bone in. The best, Be- yeah, the best part of a best chicken way to if cook you're cooking. Chicken. Yep. And I had a huge thing of dry oregano and also fresh oregano and rosemary in the garden and lots of lemons from my tree. So what did I do? But I just went to Mr. A lemon chicken. <laughs> I went to Mr. Google because we've all got a thousand different varieties of this. This came up on all recipes. It was beautiful. What do you mean it came up on All Recipes? All Recipes is the name of a website. Oh, allrecipes.com or something. Yes. Okay. And Miss Jane's going to put it on the show notes. I've just sent it to her. This takes 10 minutes to prepare, 50 minutes to cook. It um, it serves four in the um, in the quantities I'm giving. Basically, you get your chicken bone-in thickened chicken thighs and you chuck them into a marinade, which includes the potatoes, which you've peeled and quartered, Lemon juice, olive oil, garlic, the dried oregano, salt, rosemary, black pepper, and cayenne. Just a pinch of cayenne pepper. You toss the lot, Corrie, in a great big bowl, including the potatoes, with all that stuff. Yum. And the quantities are, I think it's about half a cup of olive oil and half a cup of lemon juice, to give you an idea. Then the oven, you turn on to absolutely flat out. I think it's um, 220 you turn it on to. Once it reaches 220, you place the chicken skin side up in the oven and just nestle in the potatoes, pour over the marinade. Yum. Then you drizzle it with two-thirds of a cup of chicken stock. Now, I didn't have chicken stock and I couldn't even find any chicken stock cubes, so I just boiled up the leftover chicken chops and gave um, the leftover chicken bits to Queenie the next day. So you pour the chicken broth. Can I just say, no wonder your dog goes to the toilet frequently in the park when we go walking. Dogs love chicken. I didn't give her the bones. Anyway, you pour the chicken stock also over the chicken. So it's quite a wet sort of recipe. Put it in the oven for 20 minutes. Then you toss it all around, you know, again. And then you put the chicken back skin side up and you put it in for another 25 minutes. So, you know, the chicken is now brown. Delicious. So you're cooking it a bit like a chicken cacciatore, except it's slight, it's, it has the lemon and oregano. Yeah, feel. but I, I always do chicken cacciatore on the top of the stove. Oh, no, I don't. Oh, well, well, you know that wonderful recipe I love that I have yes. with the chickpeas. Yeah, no, that, that is delicious. Anyway, what you do um, after the 45 minutes is up is you take the chicken out. Now, this recipe says to put the potatoes back in and brown them, but I think they're all beautiful and waxy and brown enough. So you take out the, all the chicken, all the potatoes, you leave in all the rest of the marinade, which is in there with the chicken stock, and it's obviously reduced a bit. You add another third of a cup of chicken stock, put it on top of the oven, on top of the stove and stir it around and just let it reduce a bit. Yum. And then you just put the chicken and the potatoes on a plate and you pour over all the lovely gluggy lemony mixture and chicken stock mixture. So um, You and could you even t- put a bit of gremolata or something on the top if you were showing off. You could. You, you're actually meant to just garnish it with fresh oregano, which I think we did, and we had leftover silver beet too, so we served it with a lemon silver beet recipe. It is delicious. It was something, there was the, the I don't know, I, the, something about the way you cook the potatoes in mm. the stock with the lemon juice, bit of olive oil, the cayenne, it is just delicious. You're talking, cheap, you're talking to somebody who hasn't had breakfast here and who's high on heaps normal. <laughs> a cheap and reliable meal, Corrie. I can um, recommend it. It'll Starving, be on our show yum. notes. So that was BSF for Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Switch to Aussie-owned red energy. Now, Caro, you're grumpy. What on earth can you be grumpy about when you're about to take flight? It's pretty obvious, Corrie. International tennis. 
and that clown we have representing our country. At oh, the my lordy. Did you read the New York Times article about him? Oh, oh. Look, seriously. The world has weighed in on Nick Curios. The, the point is, is that um, he's making a mockery of everything that is good and pure about sport. I'm not Pollyanna. I know that sport is different and I know it's about entertainment. And if one more people tells me they love to hate or hate to love Nick Curios, no, no, no. I do not want him to win anymore. As we sit here today, he's just gone through to the quarterfinals of Wimbledon for the second time, never got past the quarterfinals. I think admitted in one interview the other day they had to drag drag him out of a pub at 4am to play in the second round of Wimbledon a few years ago. Disobeyed the All England rules on the day of their big anniversary and put on the red shoes and the red cap, you know, just to be a smart aleck. Um, it has been called a cheat. Certainly the gamesmanship he uses is disgraceful. He's compared to McEnroe. McEnroe used to win. I mean, McEnroe did dreadful things. He was a really bad sport, but he did win. Curios hasn't ever looked like winning a Grand Slam. He's not that good. I don't know why we pay him any attention. And I think the spitting and the language and the treatment of his opponents is just an appalling piece of work. And I'm really grumpy about international tennis authorities who don't stand up to this dreadful, dreadful sportsman and fine him a serious amount. $10,000 he was fined for that behaviour the other day with Sissipas. They both should have got massive fines. Tennis internationally is so gutless. It's run by the players and look what it's become. It's become a circus. Nope. Hope he loses. Oh, well, you'll be... You'll be in international climbs when we discover who wins Wimbledon, but um, I wonder if you can eat your herring if he wins. I just, you know, I, I really, I'd be amazed if he wins. People say he's got the game to win a Grand Slam. It's, he's running out of time, seriously. Anyway, Corrie, that's what I'm grumpy about. Now time for six quick questions. Okay. Can I, uh, can I kick it off? Why not? What's the kindest, oh, well, obviously Nick. Kyrgios is not going to be in this part of the question. What's the kindest thing someone did for you this week? Well, it's the kindest thing they did for us, Corrie, because we had a nice little farewell drink the other day. And not only did our friend Trudes turn up to have a drink with us, he bought our dinner <laughs> and sent us home with it. Wasn't that lovely? Speaking of chicken, we asked her for the recipe, but she was too embarrassed to give it to us. Um, she, or it, you'd think I've been living on chicken the way I'm talking, she made us both a chicken cacciatore, gave it to us in a beautiful glass sort of container with the, you know, chopped up parsley and um, grated parmesan, etc. It was and couscous. And couscous, already cooked, all buttery and lemony. It was delicious. You know when you just, to, you, you don't want to go home and cook dinner, you don't want to, I mean, I don't really do takeaway, haven't for years. Um, you don't want to just go home and have Vegemite toast. And it wasn't like we were smashed. We just had a couple of drinks. Oh, it was so and nice. Wasn't it lovely sitting on the beach? Sitting having, on the beach. Having our drinks and our little fiveses. Watching the sunset and going home Rugged to... Rugged up like they do in Sweden. Like they, like they do in the movies. You think you're never really going to do it. Oh, look, it was absolutely beautiful evening. The sunsets at the moment are just spectacular. So thank you, Trudy. That was very kind. Corrie, American playwright and screenwriter, Neil Simon, was born on the 4th of July back in 1927. He's been dead for a few years. What's your favourite Neil Simon play or movie? Oh, well, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go movies because most of, them, most of his plays did become movies and the movies are the ones I'm familiar with because we didn't see an awful lot of Neil Simon shows here in Australia or in Melbourne. But, um, Caro, after much thought, and I do love Barefoot in the Park because it introduced to us Jane Fonda in a beautiful comedic role with the incredibly good-looking uh, Robert Redford, as he was in 1967. But I would have to say The Odd Couple with Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. Yeah. So this film was made in 1968 and it's about two men who have uh, gone through divorces and they end up sharing an apartment together. It later became an incredibly successful television series with Tony Randall and I can't remember who played the Walter Matthau character, but it's gone out of my head. Um, yeah. I'll come back Jack to you Klugman. on that. Jack, Jack Klugman. Jack Klugman, that's it. Um, but, uh, but Jack Lemmon really, uh, this, is, this, is before, this is before kind of gay culture became, and, and, and kind of gay icons and gay predictable old traditional gay behaviour was part of the, the zeitgeist, part of, the, part of culture. But Jack 
Lemon is plays the character that is very uh, particular and very neat and very tidy and he's living with a total slob who's Walter Matthau. And the way that Jack Lemon brings in this kind of effeminate character without, but incredibly respectfully, but with such great humour and grace. And Walter Matthau plays the grouch. It's fantastic. It's such a great film. Do you have one that you loved? Oh, look, I love The Goodbye Girl. I just <laughs> thought that was really, in, I think. It, oh, that was a bit soppy, don't you think? They're playing our song. Mm. Absolutely. Chapter two, where where it was basically James Kahn played the playwright whose wife had died, which was based on Neil Simon's first wife. Did he also who died of cancer? Yeah. Did he also write same time next year? Can't remember. Oh, it was a, that was a great one. Anyway, anyway, that's that. So, what's the kindest thing you did for someone else this week, Caro? Took my son to the airport with his partner. They're moving overseas. I know it doesn't sound like much, but the flight was five fifteen. We left five fifteen a.m. Oh, okay. So have you, you ever got, have you ever gone to bed and got up at two fifteen in the morning, driven to Tulla and driven back again? It was a fascinating journey. Half an hour there, half an hour back. Did you go back to sleep? I did. It took me a while. Um, Brendan said you're mad, and and they said that we're happy to get an Uber. But I just felt he was moving overseas, like mm. for a, a period of time, not just on a holiday. So I thought that was a pretty kind thing to do because I always think it's nice to get That's dropped really at the airport. That's really kind. I once had a 5 a.m. flight and nobody volunteered to take me, so I had to get into a taxi at one thirty in the morning. I'll never forget. Well, I've, and do you go to sleep? Do you not? It was so impossible. We did all go to sleep and I did actually get back to sleep, but I did feel a bit jet-lagged for a day or two. Corrie, which Instagram account mysteriously appeared on your feed this week with a request for you to follow? Oh, well, Carol, I don't know how this appeared in my feed, but Darcy Moore, the Collingwood footballer, asked me to follow him with um, with a cheery little note saying, good morning, there is no structural damage to my knee. Okay, good on you, Darcy. <laughs> How on earth did that come into my feed? Now, I know Siri listens to us. Have I mentioned the Collingwood Football Club or Darcy Moore? You always had a bit of thing for Peter Moore when you were a young footy writer, <laughs> I wasn't, didn't you? I wasn't telling Siri that. <laughs> Was I having that conversation with you saying, oh, I fancied him back in the day? His dad, no. That is so weird. I don't know how that came. Anyway, good on you, Darcy. I'm glad that you're repairing. Good news but for I don't the pies. Want, I don't want to follow you. Thanks anyway. Um, Caro, did you have a gotcha moment this week? I did. You and I were talking about dinosaurs a few weeks ago on Don't Shoot the Messenger. And I was referring to um, people I work with in radio who didn't understand why people would be offended by the Jordan Degoe video, and I was disappointed in some great champions of the game who just haven't sort of got with the times. Well, Lee Matthews played it back to me on Saturday at 3AW. And even when he came in, he was being very rude about... So he did shoot the messenger. He was feeling very... (laughs) He was being very disrespectful, very rude about Robbie Williams. So I called him a curmudgeon, and he said, how do you spell curmudgeon? So we spelt it to him. And then he said, how do you spell dinosaur? And he gave me a I didn't know what he was talking about. You're kidding. You didn't see it coming. No. And then he played it to me in this YYY segment. And I reckon I, he actually ended up admitting he was a dinosaur. Anyway. Look, I say any publicity is good publicity, don't you, Miss Shane? You think you can get away with things on Don't Shoot the Messenger, where Lee Matthews is concerned? I, I no. may have been responsible for emailing that to the... <laughs> Shane, Shane, I could They were not... on the hunt, Caro. They were on the hunt. Don't shoot the messengers. Shoot Jane instead. No, that's a joke. That's a terrible joke, There's Corrie. a rat in the ranks. There There's is a, a rat, rat in the ranks. Corrie, what's this that's week's... Our, that's our title for the show, Jane, the rat in the ranks. What's this week's amazing fact, Corrie? It's about Sweden. Sweden is the fourth largest country in Europe by landmass. Is it? Ha-ha. Including yeah. all the islands and stuff. Um. Since 1979, Sweden, well, sorry, in 1979, Sweden became the first country in the world to ban smacking of children. Didn't know that. Forest covers more than 60% of Sweden. There are 90,000 lakes and there are 24,000 islands. I hope you find the right one for your wedding, Caro. There are a lot out there. And I have been to the islands of Sweden. There are a lot of, of islands, but isn't that fascinating? Now, getting back to what we were talking about with Miles, with alcohol. Oh, and yes, co- and I Coca-Cola. know about this. Coca-Cola is the most consumed soft drink in every country in the world except Sweden. Julmust is a festive fermented malt drink, alcohol-free. People drink a lot of it at Christmas. Maybe some 
Everybody will be drinking it at your wedding. I think they all drink Aquavit, don't they? And they also, um, you can't buy alcohol in Sweden on weekends. Oh, I didn't know that. You can't, there's no bottle shops and you can't buy it at supermarkets after about like five o'clock on Friday or something. You're hijacking my amazing facts Sorry. Anders Celsius, a, a Swedish astronomer, invented the centigrade system. 18th century he did that. And Alfred Nobel built his wealth via a number of businesses, including dynamite. I bet you didn't know that. Can you name the five different Nobel Prizes? No. Yes, you can. You know about literature well, liter- and peace. Yeah, well, yes, true. Medicine. Oh, yep. Chemistry and physics, which oh. counts you and I out on the last three, can I say? What we're never going to win. What we might <laughs> we win never. the one for literature. <laughs> or, or peace. <laughs> but, yeah, we're not, we're not going to win physics, chemistry or medicine, you or I. Um, very popular dishes that you will be eating in the next couple of weeks. Boiled potatoes with dill. Mm, yum. Crayfish. Yum. Meatballs. Yep. Oh, I've had these before, warm cinnamon rolls. Oh, they're like croissants in Paris. They're everywhere. Oh, you have to eat one of those. You'll have a fair bit of schmuggersbord, I would yes, think. Yes, yes. And you'll be eating a fair bit of herring. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. Oscar's sister actually runs a gin distillery, so I'm hopefully having lots of gin as well. Corrie, well, we hope you have a wonderful time, Mother of the Bride. Thank you for lo- that. Lots of love to Oscar and Rose and little Sunday, who I'm sure will be wearing a pretty little frock, and we hope you have a wonderful celebration. Lots of love, Rosie and Oscar. <laughs> Kisses from over here. Corrie, thank you for your Swedish facts. Thank you for your company this week. Thank you to all our podcast supporters, particularly Red Energy, awarded CanStar's most trusted energy providers nationally, both last year and in 2022, and also Prince Wine Store. Don't forget to go to princewinestore.com.au. Mm, and just watch the Trixie bottle when you pour because it's got, half of it's gone over my book, I've just discovered. And don't forget to click on the Facebook page, our Facebook page. Don't shoot the messenger page, I should say, for all Miles' recommendations and special discounts. They don't have to be alcohol-free. And don't forget to listen to our bonus episodes and please... You can connect with us via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to get our show notes delivered to your inbox every week, hit the sign up button on Facebook or in our show notes or send us an email and we'll subscribe you. That email, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And Corrie, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, Prince Wine Store and the Bendigo Art Gallery, presenting Elvis direct from Graceland, created in partnership with Graceland. This Australian exclusive exhibition explores the life and style of Elvis Presley. On now until July 17, tickets from bendigoartgallery.com.au.